0: Welcome to AIPT Comics Podcast, the official podcast for AIPTComics.com. And we are here with episode 18. It's a big show for us this week because, well, Avengers Endgame just came out just two, three days ago. The Eisner Award nominations just came out. There's a lot to talk about. There's so much to talk about, in fact, that we're not going to talk about Avengers Endgame. That's right. We're going to do an entire episode, a special episode. In a day or two, we're going to be posting it, giving you our thoughts, talking about comic book connections, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I think that's big enough topic to, to fill almost an hour, but we'll see. We'll see. We haven't recorded it yet. We are recording right now, episode 18, and I'm your host, David Brooke, with co-host. Hello! <laughs> I am Forrest with two R's, and I would walk
1: 501 miles.
0: Wow, just like that Irish uh, uh, romantic song.
1: I think they're Australian, but
0: yeah. are they really? I always thought they were Irish.
1: Either way, I win one more mile, and if he went another mile, I would go another mile. You get the picture.
0: This is an obscure '90s song. If you don't know, what we're talking about <laughs> <laughs> um, every uh, every show. We start with the news. We talk we talk about the things that everybody's talking about. And this week, there's a, a couple whoppers, a couple big ones. I mean, we're going to actually devote an entire segment to the Eisners, so don't you worry. We're going to get we're going to get into the weeds with that one. But with the casual news, I'm going to call it. Um it's come out that uh, Sinkwitz and Bill Siquits and Chris Claremont are pitching a new mutants uh single issue I think a one shot for Marvel's big 80th anniversary which is pretty sweet. Uh, a lot to, a lot to be excited about there and it's kind of fascinating too because there are a lot of people who keep wondering what's Chris Claremont up to. It, I, th- mm-hmm. He's being paid by Marvel, right, to stick around, right. not write any for any other publisher. Uh, and he's he's done a couple books here and there. He's got a, he's got a, a Marvel two and one story coming up, and if this is coming up, this might blow the doors off all those X Men fans' houses.
1: The interesting thing for me too is like I had always pictured it, and we've talked about it a lot. Where like we're imagining Jordan White and C B Sobolski and stuff going out to these creators and asking them to create stuff for the 80th anniversary for Marvel Presents 80th Anniversary. They've got all these decades books. They've got Eric Larson. They've got um, Rob Liefeld kind of on the periphery of that. But maybe it's possible that a lot of these artists are also like, hey, maybe this is a good time to pitch something that we've been wanting to do for a while. True. Sure. Um, and Singleton and Claremont could very much be doing that with the New Mutants. Um, I think it's pretty cool, Either way, um, I really love The New Mutants. I know that a lot of people are not totally happy with The New Mutants and how they've been presented. That includes
0: Disney Um, with the new movie that supposedly does not have a release date anymore.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh. I wasn't even going to talk about that. Um, A lot of people are not super happy with how The New Mutants have been represented across books since their kind of induction into the Marvel canon. Um, but kind of bringing it back to the vest and having, like, the OG creators do this sounds really, really cool. So I hope that they buy it.
0: Yeah, and Sinkowitz, is, he does a lot of variant covers, which are always beautiful. But he hasn't done mm-hmm. a full interior of a comic in quite a while. A
1: long time. He's yeah. typically an inker.
0: Exactly. So yeah. it'd be kind of cool to see him go back, see how his art has developed. Because every artist develops over the years. Um and yeah, uh, I think that uh, get, finding out if Chris Claremont is going to be writing anything is is exciting for a lot of fans since he was so instrumental in the uh, in the X Men's what what we think of the X Men,
1: right? Yeah, the heydays of the '80s and '90s, pretty much. Yeah, right, right. I mean, he was so influential. Right. I was just
0: I was just reviewing a Miss Marvel uh, comic, a uh, trade paperback that's coming out in a few days, and he writes a letter in there, and it's just fascinating to read his uh, firsthand thoughts on it because. I think he was really there nitty gritty doing a lot to build up what we know of almost every character.
1: Yeah. A whole, a whole pantheon of characters that are way newer than we think they are. Right. In terms of like, they came out actually in the nineties, not back in the sixties, like when Spider-Man debuted. Right. But have become so much bigger than their contemporaries and already feels so important and so culturally relevant mm-hmm. um, and have had multiple movie adaptations or book adaptations or whatever, some enough so much so that they have failed and come back around. And, yeah, there's, yeah. There's a
0: reason Marvel has given him in this exclusive contract to not leave, but get paid to do seemingly not much.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's the rumor anyway.
0: That is the rumor. Next in the news, yeah. not a rumor, Image Comics solicits have come out for July. And this is exciting because there's some big names coming out with brand new series.
1: Yeah. Whoa.
0: And not to spoil anything when we're gonna talk about the Eisners, but Image Comics is very good at coming up with new series. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. the the books that we that they've revealed in these solicitations may be on the Eisner list next year. Chances are probably high, at least one of them will be.
1: Yes, I think so. Uh,
0: at the top of the list is Sea of Stars, number one, by Jason Aaron Dennis Hallam, or Dennis Hopeless Hallam, as he used yep. to be known as. And the artist is Stephen Green. Cool, cool, cool. Mike McNola is doing one of the covers for this. This is a pretty sweet series.
1: Yeah, no, it sounds awesome. It's about um, like a space version of an ice road trucker, like a shipment company. Right. Um, and this guy's like, well, my job's boring as fuck, so I'm going to bring my son along on a job. And what they're calling a space leviathan bites the truck in half. <laughs> yeah. And um, like the worst possible time for um, Father Father's Day or bring your kid to work day or whatever. And uh, he ends up having to get his son back from the depths of space. Um, who is getting help from a talking space monkey?
0: I mean, so, how do you beat that?
1: yeah right um, I think both Dennis and Jason are really good at authentic character driven action and drama and humor um, Southern Bastards is amazing I love um, Vader Dark Visions although I know that recent issue has a little bit of controversy around it um, I also loved Avengers Arena Yep. so I think it, it looks awesome
0: Dennis's work on uh, Spider-Man was fantastic too
1: true yes
0: um, I don't know how Jason Aaron has any time to write anything because he's doing uh, War of the Realms right now. And I guess it's ending when this. I mean, comics take months to t- to sometimes create, so I suppose that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, other series coming out one by uh, Colin Bunn and Kyle Strahan. Again, two writers on a new, brand new book, and it's called Unearthed Number One. The artist is Baldemar Rivas. And mm-hmm. this one is about a flesh warping disease that ravages a remote village in Mexico. A scientific task force travels to the inhospitable area to investigate the contamination. So obviously this is a horror story, and we know Cullen Bunn's, some of his best work is horror.
1: I I tend to think so, yeah. Very much horror that is not the big two is the Cullen Bunn that I like the most.
0: Artist, what has the artist done? He's a rising star, so he hasn't done much. They, mm-hmm, which is cool, yeah. that's always exciting. Um,
1: Kyle Stram has worked worked on Spread, though which was a fantastic kind of like the thing mm-hmm. comic yeah
0: um yeah yeah i was really into that for a little while but then i started to, i don't know it's, i don't want to diss it got a little convoluted for me
1: it it did but um i thought the art was fantastic bloody yep. good
0: um, bloody good yeah <laughs> yeah uh next up uh do you want to talk about the next book that were you that there yeah
1: so the next book uh also referencing spread uh-huh. um is written by justin jordan um, it's called Reaver Number One, or not Number One. <laughs> <laughs> it's called Reaver Number One. Um, <laughs> the first issue of which is coming out in July. Yep. Um, what the artists are Rebecca Isaacs and Alex Guerra Gier- I am so sorry. Um, the covers for these are done by Becky Cloonan, though. Um, they're amazing. She's released all of them on her social media and stuff. I saw them on Instagram originally, but I think she put them all on Twitter too if you want to check them out. Mm-hmm. Um, this is like a low magic, high fantasy, super gritty character drama, it seems like. Mm-hmm. It's it's about a continent called Madara's um, that it, it, six characters are going to set out across and try to right their wrongs and... um Stop the end of the world. They're called the Hell's Half Dozen, um, and they're 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 going a dark, grim fantasy for a post Game of Thrones world. <laughs> so you know it seems pretty obvious what it is. Yeah. But all the folks um, that are tied to it, I think, sounds ridiculous.
0: Let me ask you. I know what a baker's dozen is, but what's a Hell's dozen? Half dozen. What is that? Is that six as well, um, or is that nine? Or is it six, six, six? I don't know. <laughs> The other uh, series that's been announced is Space Bandits Number 1 by Mark Millar. This is obviously one of his contributions with Netflix and Image Comics. Yes. And this is drawn by Mateo Scalera. And mm-hmm. this is the book, I believe, that had a bit of uh, drama that we talked about last week, isn't
1: it? Yeah, the one that um, is pretty similar to Oh Shit, It's Kim and Kim yep. by Megs Visago. Yep. Yes, um, this is the one.
0: So uh, we already kind of talked about that last week. But again, this is part of the Millar Malar universe what does he call it Malarverse what does he call it
1: Malar world I think (laughs) yeah
0: yeah it's just one of the other I don't think they're all in the same like universe per se but it's all curated by him obviously he's the head of that Mm -hmm. Um, a couple other things that are kind of cool coming out um, obviously Paper Girls is continuing by Brian K. Vaughan with Cliff Chiang. Postal Deliverance number one which I know there's a lot of Postal fans out there especially at AFPT Uh, this is written by Brian Hill with Matt Hawkins this is obviously part of like the top cow part, the arm of Image Comics, I'd call it, I suppose. But it's cool to see that series continuing on. And that's it for single issues. There's a bunch of uh, trade paperbacks, but I, I recommend going to check out those solicitations. There's some pretty cool stuff coming.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, including Bad Weekend, the hardcover of Bad Weekend by Ed Brubrocker with artists Sean Phillips and Jacob Phillips, um, which we'll get around to for the Eisners.
0: Spoilers! <laughs> some, uh, some great news for the comic industry, because I know we talk about this all the time. is how, And actually, I think the last time we talked about comic sales, I said, why is it every time we talk about comic sales, it's bad? <laughs> yeah, but true. But their March uh, numbers have come in, and it's quite good. It's a great sign. Everything's up, what, 8% or something like that? Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, books like Detective Comics number 1000 were a huge reason why. Obviously, that book was not only... You know, overpr not overpriced, but more money than a usual comic. I think it was ten dollars, wasn't
1: it? Probably appropriately priced, <laughs> given how much work creators put into comics, and right. maybe they're devalued. But um, yes, it was ten dollars,
0: and um, so that makes it so that DC Comics's share was thirty six percent. They beat Marvel Comics. Marvel was with thirty four percent. Not they didn't beat them by that much, but they still beat them, which is. You know, kind of a rare thing these days. Marvel seems to own the industry uh, most most months.
1: Yes, so they they beat them in the retail market share. Right. So money brought in, right? Um, and I think you could contribute that almost entirely, like you're saying, to Detective Comics 1000. Yep.
0: Yeah. And if you're curious um, for retail market share, Marvel was second. Obviously, Image Comics third, Dark Horse fourth, and then IDW fifth, so on and so forth and so on and so and, forth. And
1: and what? Just so um, it's a little clear, like. DC is at thirty six percent. Marvel's at thirty four. Image is at third with nine percent. Yeah. Yep. So as soon as you get to third, it drops to single digits. Mm-hmm. Um, and we call them the big two for a reason.
0: They are big, and they yeah. are bulbous, and uh, other. <laughs> they're round. Other yes. other adjectives.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, Marvel still did win in the number of units sold. Right. However, mm-hmm. um, but again, just barely. Like they're they're always kind of eking it out over these two categories. Yep. Um. Unit market share for Marvel was forty point nine four percent, and DC had thirty four percent. That's a bigger divide. Um. It's obviously two percent over in the uh, retail market share. Um. It's slightly higher here. Image coming in third with nine percent.
0: The 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 really important list though is the top ten comic books by units shipped. Mm. And DC crushing it with the top six books being from them. Yes. Detective Comics was one. Batman Who Laughs, uh, number one, was two. How is that possible? Is that... Oh, sorry. Batman Who Laughs, The Grim Knight, number one. That was that special where Batman was basically Punisher. (laughs) Not Not to say Scott Snyder was doing that. I'm just... That's the easiest way to say it. Doomsday Clock number nine with number three, Batman number 67, and number 66 with four and five. Then Heroes in Crisis with number seven. And then finally, we get to Spider Man, who kills it from seven through nine. And then at the 10, Justice League number 20, again, Scott Snyder. Yep. It's an interesting list. I wonder if Doomsday Clock will continue to be high up Uh, with all these delays. You'd think maybe it might slide down a little bit. People might get frustrated with it. (laughs) I certainly am sitting here waiting for the stupid trade paperback version because I don't know. I want to read it once. Yeah, sitting. that's
1: that's so funny. I I was just joking in Slack with um some of the other folks that write for the site about how I'm going to start a doomsday clock clock. Oh, nice segment. Yeah. Um because it has been pushed back again. Yep. Um I'm surprised to see it so high up because I don't know who's keeping track of it at this point. Right. Like it certainly makes more sense to pick up the collected trade in twenty twenty five or whatever. Twenty
0: twenty, I think they're saying May. Uh,
1: uh, they're
0: saying the final trade, so the second part will be out in May twenty twenty. I
1: know they said it was coming out in May, but I read that as it might, <laughs> it may come out in right. twenty twenty. Oh, did
0: did you think we said May the month? No, no, we were saying it may come out. No, no, no. Out. Yeah.
1: It, it may come out. Yeah, <laughs> but
0: and, and just the year too, not a specific time of the year.
1: Right. Yeah. Anyway, um. You know what it... vaguely gestures to the calendar. <laughs> they just, just like guns. point and look yeah. away.
0: Look at that. That's where it's coming out. Uh, I think this is also kind of a big deal in that we're not in the summer months yet, which is when comics tend to sell even more. Yeah, so this is a great sign. Obviously, it's very up and down as it goes. i mean if you If you track this stuff at all in the last couple of years, it there are highs, high high, highs, and low lows, and it seems like every time there's a low low. Comic book websites like us are like, oh, it's over. Pack it up, Marvel. You're done. Yeah, right. <laughs> which,
1: or, or you get the the worst end of that because it's kind of a sliding scale, right? right? But the farthest end of that is like, CBE and whoever are coming out at South by Southwest to say Marvel Comics are canceled. Right, right. Which is a crazy rumor. To be, I don't with, think anyone
0: but... believed that, even the person who wrote that article.
1: <laughs> right. It's that's true, but. It gets the clicks.
0: It does. It does. Unfortunately, yes. And yeah. uh, next up in the news, something that's getting a lot of clicks. Uh, Heroes in Crisis, number, what was it, nine? Number nine reveals... Uh, number eight. Number eight, sorry. Number nine is the that's last right.
1: issue. This is the penultimate issue.
0: It. We already kind of... Well, so I think number seven already revealed who the killer is. So spoilers if you're reading this. We're going to talk yeah. about it a little bit here. But before I give spoilers, I will say people were so upset with eight that... Tom King was getting death threats. He tweeted um he tweeted one of his reporting uh one of his reports he was sending to Twitter. Yes. And this is I think what is it? Like the sixth time we've talked about this on this podcast, someone some writer getting a death threat. I, it's not even the
1: first time we've talked about Tom King getting death
0: That's threats. That's true. I don't think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People are very upset with the story choices he's made and we haven't even reached the end of the series, so I mean Anything could happen, but not only that, but right. really, you really shouldn't be threatening anyone <laughs> please, right. please don't yeah, please stop right this is um, this is serial storytelling. every character you think is alive will be dead at one point in the future, <laughs> and yeah. vice versa
1: and you crave the soap opera right, right that's why you're still reading them right i don't comics wouldn't be interesting if they were static or they were stagnant, and they just continued in one direction forever, right right um at the same time Uh-oh. i do think that the response to this issue outside of the extremist i'm gonna kill tom king death threats and stuff which sparked a good conversation between creators on twitter did it um some good support group type stuff i saw mm-hmm. um i do think that the response to this is warranted
0: not the death threats but frustra- frustration frustration no. no 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 no. The annoyance etc yes. etc cetera, et cetera.
1: um i have watched the um general like the metacritic score for this on comic book roundup dropped mm-hmm. every day since it's been out. Yeah. Um it debuted at a 7. I think currently it's at a 5.7 as more reviews come mm-hmm. in. Um that's only critics reviews. I think it's at like a 4 with users.
0: And this has largely been a highly rated series so far.
1: Yes. Well, it's been inconsistent at best, mm-hmm. but its high highs have been really high like 10.
0: Our reviewer of the series, Ritesh Babu, he's given a couple of the issues high scores, but with this one, he gave it a 2 out of 10. And I have to tell you, I don't think I've ever seen Ritesh give anything lower than a 7.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was shocked.
0: I was too. Yeah. I actually spoke with Ritesh quite a bit because I've read the book as well. Have you read the book yet, Forrest?
1: I've not. Um, we, But I do, I do know what happened, right. and I do understand why people are upset. So
0: spoilers, Wally West.
1: Yes. I think we can talk about it, yeah.
0: He, uh, in the first issue, we find out he dies along with a lot of other heroes and it's really upset Barry, uh, the other Flash and a lot of other characters that have been dealing with these losses in the last few months. And well, we find out that he, he covered up his own death. He made it look like he died, uh, when he accidentally kills everyone with the speed force, he loses control of the speed force. And like, I guess the electricity zaps everybody,
1: he, yeah, the force out of his body, I guess, the shockwave kind of effect. Um, it killed 12 people.
0: Right. What is it called? What's the Green Lantern story? Emerald Night?
1: Emerald Twilight.
0: Emerald Twilight. I talk about this. I did a little news piece on this for aptcomics.com, and I talk about how it's similar in that uh, Hal Jordan in that story and then Wally with this story, they they come upon something that literally drives them mad. Uh, and in Wally's case, it was for a moment. In Hal's, it was obviously it changed him for quite a long time. But in both cases, they commit all these murders uh, in in a moment. Uh, not that they're like supervillains forever or anything. It's just like they couldn't take something. And in Wally's case, it was a total accident. He's he's like somehow tapped into the sanctuary computer system, and. Mm-hmm. After seeing all of these um, diary entries and seeing all this information, it makes him lose lose it because, I don't know, I guess he loses faith maybe in, in humanity and doing good. I, I'm not sure exactly, but then he strikes out. But the part of it that really, I think, is troublesome isn't the accident, but what he did after.
1: Yes. I, I think that this is where it starts to largely diverge from Emerald Twilight. Right, right. Um, in that Emerald Twilight, Hal had a whole other persona, a parasite basically, right. right? There was a tangible reason for a complete meltdown, left turn from his character. Right. Um, this seems less Because Wally,
0: apropos. he obviously is feeling guilty and, oh my God, what did I do? But instead of like fessing up or going full villain, which are two different ways that could have went, instead he covers it up by... Basically, making Harley Quinn think uh, that Booster did it, and then making Booster think that Harley Quinn did it. Basically, creating a mystery uh, so that the heroes will be like thrown off their game and not know who did what. Right. The story also uses time travel. Wally goes into the future, plucks himself out of the future, puts his dead body, kills himself, puts his dead body in the past, uh, yeah. which is another you know that's just throwing a bucket of bolts into a plot like. Time travel usually is already kind of creating some Mm. cheap, cheap twists and turns. But this, I don't know. It's too much. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot.
1: Um, And I think there's a conversation to be had about when people call things problematic. I think that sometimes I have seen on Twitter in particular, um, other social media, though, problematic, which has a very... Discrete, finite definition oftentimes gets used for narrative decision I don't like. Mm-hmm. Um, the example that I'll use is um, the popular DD show Critical Role. In the second season, a character of that dies, a player character. Uh-huh. And people were like, oh, that's a really problematic story decision. Mm-hmm. It wasn't problematic at all. They're playing Dungeons and Dragons. That's the rule set. You know that your character might die. Right just because that didn't necessarily happen or happen with any finality in the first season doesn't mean that it's not an option. Right? Mm-hmm. There's nothing inherently problematic about that. However, in terms of Heroes in Crisis, where the focus as of now has become on has become about Wally and about how Wally feels like a victim and like Oh, isn't it kind of relatable that he's covered this up Mm -hmm. and stuff? Or like, wouldn't you do the same rather than putting the spotlight on his victims, his actual victims? Right. The same way that there are real world victims of tragedy and trauma and violence and emotional manipulation. Not to mention. If there were victims of time travel manipulation.
0: <laughs> Could you imagine if that was real? Right? That'd suck.
1: Right? That is problematic. Especially so when the creators are going out and saying what this story is about and saying that it's about victimization and PTSD and trauma. But their reveal has eventually, has essentially revealed that the, the person that they want you to sympathize with is the abuser and i am in agreement with some people that i do think that that's a problematic decision at least in the in the very sense that it has been framed as what they were trying to do by the creators
0: and up until this point it was doing a great job capturing what felt like honest reactions from all the characters who've dealt with loss dealt with great pain and they're talking to the audience right in this sort of like diary sort of sort of format and then it mm-hmm. the the series seems to just throw this entirely huge twist that n- was not built up at all right, right. in her face, c- kind of like just derailing everything that had built up before. Not to mention there was this great mystery, like, oh, who did it? Who did it? And then you find out that you there was never a chance to figure out who did it because it was all this <laughs> time travel right. baloney yeah. twist. I don't know. It's weird. Yeah, It's very unsatisfying. And I hope he can turn it around a nine, but I don't know. If he can turn around a nine... The next issue the final issue it'll probably feel like it's too little too late anyway
1: i think so i think people are already really upset with how many women they've fridged right with how much kind of sexploitation has taken place right and other stuff i i think people are already kind of over the tipping point with this and if they weren't this issue has done that right there's a rumor going around that this event was subject to serious rewrites mm-hmm after um specifically after a leak right. by another media site
0: which would explain why it seems like a shoehorned in last second twist
1: it would explain why the red herring is actually the red herring right or is actually the one right, right. um but at the same time there's got to be another way out of this or there's got to be a point where you realize what you're saying about the book is no longer true because you had to extensively rewrite
0: it. The best way out of this is to talk to your friends about how much you like or dislike the story and to not give death threats to Tom King, please. Yes.
1: <laughs> um I, I don't think that that is an appropriate reaction no. still, obviously. Yeah. Um and also I do think that he was in the CIA. Yes. I know that I've joked about that in the past. Oh,
0: okay. You're clearing but, the record here?
1: Oh my God. <laughs> the people that are giving him death threats mm also seem to think that they would be able to kill him because he wasn't actually in the CIA. So I just want to make it clear that (laughs) I'm joking about that because I think it's so ridiculous.
0: Yes, the world seems so.
1: Oh, my God.
0: You know what's not ridiculous? Avengers Endgame. And we are about to talk about it in our next show. Please come back. We are going to be having the show go up in a day or two. And we're going to be going through the entire episode. And if you don't follow comics but did like the movie, I highly recommend you check it out because we're going to be talking about all of the comic book influences on the film and also our thoughts and also where we think we might go based on the comic books that we've read and dearly love.
1: Yes. Um, we're not going to be talking about it in this episode at all. So this is spoiler free zone. Yep. Um, the coming episode later this week is a spoiler zone (laughs) it is it is a spoilers cast it is um hopefully we'll just title it something like end game the comics take and that will make it as clear as possible Mm -hmm. but don't find me on twitter and at me (laughs) because you got spoiled by a podcast that you downloaded and listened to that's this episode is free
0: that's true of that and it's free
1: coming episode Will not also cost nothing. This episode is also monetarily <laughs> free. You're
0: welcome. So speaking of things we love, though, we're going to talk about our top two picks from last week, the top two comic books that we love the most out of the whole bunch. And I think last week I reviewed something like 15 comics. So I I, I have a good Ooh. sense of... <laughs> yeah, I wrote I wrote a lot of reviews for some reason. Also, there were a lot of reviews written on comicbookroundup.com, which actually pulls all the reviews into one aggregate where you can kind of get a, a general feel for what, what the critics love, what the fans love and this week the critic pick was fearscape number 5 with a 9.1 written by Ryan O'Sullivan with art by Andrew Andrea Muti and mm-hmm. this is a stop me if i'm wrong vertical no vault vault, vault comic. yeah it's a vault yep. book yeah which is a pretty cool new uh publisher they come out with they i think their books are all extra size if i'm not mistaken but
1: and they're all very highly rated yeah
0: i mean everything i mean it's crazy yeah, I, yeah. And they don't have a ton of of series, but that's probably a good thing. They're curating each book, uh, making sure each one's really, really good. I haven't read any Fearscape, but I know that uh people at AIPTcomics.com who've reviewed it love it. And it's very cool. Yeah. Have you read it?
1: I don't wanna I don't wanna spoil it at all. Okay. Um it's very gaiman esque mm-hmm. Um it's very cool. I really loved the marketing that they did with it where they were kind of referencing um Mr. Miracle. They did some Fearscape isn't. Oh, nice. Marketing that I thought was really funny. Um, that kind of like meta-contextual referential stuff is all over this book. So if you like that kind of thing, check then it out. Then the fan
0: pick was Wilds Tour number 22 with a 9.2, written by Warren Ellis and art by John Davis Hunt. This one's wrapping up soon. I imagine there's a lot of folks who may have slipped off and didn't read every issue but are coming back to get that finale. Mm -hmm. Um, Jason Segura, who writes the reviews uh, at AIPTcomics.com for this series and has written a review for almost every issue I think uh, always loves it, always praises it I I recommend you read his reviews, they're pretty tight
1: yes, and shout out to friend of the show Connor Christensen who um, (laughs) I know right now would be like,
0: Wildstorm bitches yeah, Yeah, Wildstorm, if you listen to our first few shows he was a host on the show and uh, he made sure to talk about Wildstorm on every episode even if Wildstorm wasn't coming out that week I bet
1: he is uh he still writes for the site and he's a host on, over on the Star Wars and Poor Taste podcast, which you guys should check out as well. I bet he will bring it up on the next Star Wars. Could be podcast could be. I bet he will. Or he will by the time Wild Storm is done.
0: Oh, definitely he'll have to say something. Yes. yes. <laughs> so what are you going to say? what, what is what, what would you say about your second pick of the of your favorite books of last week?
1: Um I would say that it is called Thanos. That's um, a familiar name it is the first. it is. It's the first issue. It's written by Teeny Howard um, with art by Ariel o- Olivetti. Uh, I wrote a review for this one over at aiptcomics.com. If you want to check it out, I give it an eight out of ten. I liked it a lot. Um, I really, really like Teeny Howard's writing, and this is the first issue um, for her Marvel work that has been re- released since her Marvel exclusive contract was announced. And it's really, I think, indicative of why she got that contract. What the comic is doing is showing you Thanos through a variety of lenses. So this is pre-Black Order. This is pre-Thanos finding Gamora. This is pre-a whole bunch of stuff, At what right? point they
0: call him Captain Thanos. I thought that was crazy. They
1: do, yeah. Um, it's It's very interesting. So you have Thanos being seen through this kind of like Star Wars-esque bounty hunter squad. It's like a quasi-black order um, called Butcher Squadron. Um, So it's like, how do his subordinates see him? And then you see Thanos alone by himself talking to his computer and trying to do like a threat assessment of the entire universe. And it's kind of like, how does Thanos see himself? Or how does he see the man that he will become? Because this is, again, very, very early in the timeline as far as what we know about Thanos. And then there's also Gamora, who will eventually kill him um, per Infinity Wars. Uh, This series is narrated by Gamora, but at this point in time, she has not met him yet. Um, This story tells, this issue tells the story of how Gamora was quasi, quote unquote, heavy, bold, italics, Adopted by Thanos. <laughs> kidnapped, murder, <laughs> murderously kidnapped. Yeah. Um, but it's kind of like how do all of these people that are immensely important to Thanos, including himself, see him mm-hmm. and the man that he will become, or the man that he thinks he will become? And how does the universe and everyone around him react to him? Dishback. He- yeah, I mean, kind of. The cliffhanger
0: is pretty sweet in this.
1: I thought it was fantastic. Should we spoil it?
0: I don't think we should. Really well done. I don't know.
1: I don't think we should.
0: Let's just say um, that this is not the movie Thanos, right? Because he's right. still trying to appease death. Death.
1: Yeah. Yes. Um, and I also like that Teeny is very, very good at referencing the kind of, externally referencing the things that characters are going through internally. And so at the very beginning of this book, they start with, Thanos being on his ship, Sanctuary Zero, and they reference that the ship is being just kind of built outwards, and that hallways just kind of end nowhere, or that doors go to nowhere, or that stairs just kind of go upwards for no it's reason. It's like a haunted house. Yeah, it reminds me very much of the Winchester Mystery Mansion, yep. or um, House of Leaves, which has a similar effect the novel. Um, and also kind of externalizes the madness and the turmoil that Thanos is going through, despite the fact that he seems very reserved. Mm-hmm. And I like that a lot. Uh, Ariel Levetti and the colorist whose name I can't recall right now, I'm sorry, um, do a great job with kind of giving this a vintage pastiche. I love
0: that double page spread where you see Thanos like walking from left to right. That was yes. pretty cool.
1: Yes, um, and I have that in the review as well. They do a pretty good job of making this feel like it is the chronological beginning of thanos's story i'm curious to see if over the next six five issues because this is a six issue miniseries if they will um kind of like ramp up or change the art for each issue i think that that would be really cool but it's hard to tell right now hmm.
0: yeah i read it too i liked it yeah another science fiction book that uh i liked which is my second pick uh not very similar to thanos <laughs> is uh, rick and morty number 49 from oni press This one is written by Kyle Starks with art by Mark Ellerby, and the backup is written by Carla Pacheco and art by Ian McGinty. And this is the penultimate issue to their big, big, big 50th issue, which is going to be exercised. Uh, I'm actually actually interviewing Mark Ellerby about that issue, and we'll have that up on the site in a few weeks, uh, a little bit closer to when number 50 comes out. But number 49 is quite cool because, like with every issue of Rick and Morty, there's a main story, and Starks' story is uh, Groundhog Day, but with Rick and Morty. <laughs> so it's 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 funny. I mean, obviously, this is a funny uh, comic. And I think one reason why people like the show and why this comic is also good is that it mixes in clever science fiction ideas, usually one-off stories, so uh, the writers can kind of get creative and get kind of k- kooky with their stories, because, you know, obviously it's a very episodic series, so... If Rick kills Morty in one issue, it doesn't matter. He's back next issue. And Mm -hmm. the coolest thing about this is, I don't want to spoil it too much, but Rick basically figures out that he's in a, he actually says he's in a Groundhog Day situation. And he lives his best life about a bazillion times. But then grows so tired (laughs) of living like, where he could do whatever he wants every day. He gets so sick of it that he wants to kill himself. So he gets he gets himself out of that situation. It's it's a clever, clever take on Groundhog Day, but with Rick and Morty. And then the backup by uh, Carla Pacheco and Ian McGinty is basically, if you've watched the show, Jerry, Morty's dad, has a intergalactic daycare, basically, for him. Uh, in cases where Rick... He might be snuck. He might sneak onto Rick's spaceship, and then Rick finds out, and then he's like, "Ugh, we have to take him to the daycare, <laughs> so that he doesn't die." But if you've seen the show, what ends up happening is Jerry gets swapped out with the wrong Jerry. So the Jerry of our universe is uh, the wrong Jerry. Anyway, in this story, we find out Jerry. Uh, he does some bad things to other Jerrys, and there's some funny jokes. <laughs> there's a pear-shaped Jerry, who is you know obviously he's he's overweight. He's got the pear shape. But then there's another Jerry who's literally a pear. like a human pair it's weird anyway another clever funny little one-off story so yeah i I like the series i've reviewed a lot of it i haven't reviewed it consistently but i've reviewed probably 20 of them 30 of them over the years and i highly recommend you check it out especially since the show's not on and if you are digging rick and morty this is a great way to get a taste of it yeah
1: i think that they do a very good job of being consistent across across the media with the brand Yeah, for sure. It feels like Rick and Morty. And, you know, a lot
0: of these, there's a lot of, there's been a lot of attempts at comedy, comics, like The Simpsons um, or Run and Stimpy or Rockwell's Modern Life. And I feel like this one is the most consistently good in comparison.
1: Sure. Yeah.
0: I know there's a series that you like for your number one pick that's been consistently (laughs) good.
1: It has been. Um, Before I get to that, though, I do want to give a quick... Shout out to um, Corey Sashray, who found me on Twitter last week and um, said that he listened to our previous episode where I talked about how um, excited I was for, I think, Little Bird, Uh um, which we talked about being one of the highest reviewed books of last week. And he said, um, just wanted to give you a heads up. You mentioned waiting for the trade for Little Bird. As of now, there are no plans to put out a trade, only single issues like Brian K. Vaughn's Barrier. Huh. Um, I had mentioned that I was going to make a blood pact with this podcast and pick up the Little Bird trade because I love Ian Bertram, mm-hmm. who's the artist on Little Bird. Um, thank you very much for finding me, Corey. I guess I'll pick up the single issues. There you go. Only way. Or everyone else go out and pick up the single issues so I can get the trade. There you
0: go. Then they'll have to put it out. Is
1: that is that, does that work? Maybe. Is that track? Could be. <laughs> <laughs> um, regardless, uh, my favorite issue of the week was Coda number 11 written by Sai Spurrier with art by Matthias Bergara. I have said this about Venom in the past. I've said this about, I think, a couple of other books. Uh, Conan, also. I have a hard time imagining a week where CODA comes out and it's not on my list. Um, it is also an Eisner Award-nominated book for Matthias Bergara's art. This issue is very indicative as to why. Um, this is the penultimate issue. So it's a 12-issue maxi-series. Um, this is the second to last issue, and it's really kind of become this fantastic thing about what does it mean to be a hero, but not in the traditional sense where I like stories, I like superhero stories, I like Captain America, I like the X-Men, I like all that stuff, I'm obviously a Marvel boy, Spider-Man is my is so close to my heart, um, but At the same time, I find that that stuff can be kind of like a revolving door where they get set up to fail and then they succeed through preservation or the answer was that they had friends the whole time. You know, Um, this book does a very, very good job of saying you need to look within yourself and rectify your problems because the world does not care. There is no one out there waiting for you to be a good person. There is no hurdle you need to cross, no doors that will magically open for you. You need to be a good person because you want to. And I, it's so, so rare, I think, that comics touch on what I find is like a much more accurate and authentic representation of the human experience where people try to better themselves just because they want to. But that is what the main character, Hum, is going through right now where all of the rest of the world is kind of crumbling around him. They're in a post-post-apocalyptic situation where they're on the cusp of apocalypse again as who has been revealed to be the main villain. I don't really want to spoil it. There are so many twists and turns in this book, but they're so well executed. Um, Is on the precipice of sending them into another apocalypse. Bummer. Yeah, there's kind of these two big armies that are coming to a head and stuff. But neither of them really seems to care about what will happen to their armies or what will happen to the world or what will happen to their people or anything like that. And I think Psy has done a really good job of recognizing that the world and that the universe is largely dispassionate, shout out to Thanos, (laughs) but that people don't have to be. Oftentimes fantasy books are like always about how passionate everyone is and how passionate the world is and Matthias has done a fantastic job of bringing a fantasy world like that to life where there's goblins and giants and mermaid people and all and orcs and giant evil armies and it's so amazing, but it's ultimately about the internal struggle and I, I think it's done just fantastically well and I, I can't believe that there's another cliffhanger at the end of this issue that's just like a fucking banger and I can't believe they keep doing that um, I'm pretty bummed that the next issue is the last one um, but I also hope that it will that the response will um, encourage Sai and Matthias to work together again because it is awesome
0: nice that's great Yeah, I have been reading it but I have Sorry. been reading his work on The Dreaming and it's also thought provoking and filled with great yeah. ideas yeah
1: Right. Yeah. Um similar in effect. So it, i I think you have to buy into what Psy is doing in any given book. Um but once you do, it's it's so satisfying and so worthwhile often. Nice. Um and so sorry for proselytizing a little bit there, but I think it's really I right. forgive you.
0: <laughs> Thank you. My uh so I'm gonna move on to my pick, uh which is Freedom Fighters Number Four, uh by Robert Venditti and Eddie Barrows. And this one's about The Freedom Fighters uh, that you may know from like the 70s, I think. This is a team of uh, anti-Nazi killing, you know, fascist killing Duke dirtbag people. Well, anyway, the Nazis have taken over America, folks. It's terrible. Hitler's dead, but his son has taken over. Are you talking about the real world? (laughs) I know, right? And, you know, when I I actually interviewed Robert Venditti a few months ago now about this series. And I asked him, like, this seems kind of poignant. Uh, you, you the Nazis have taken over. Like, did you do this on purpose? And he kind of dodged the question and was like, No, 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 no. It's just, it's just, uh, it's just good drama. And he, it's just what <laughs> if he's picking up the story that's been told two or three times. Now. I think it originally started in the '40s. This this series, this one's kind of interesting because it's a more modern world. Obviously, there are new modern heroes that are fighting against the. They call them Razzies in some of these uh, panels, <laughs> and. There's a guy named um shoot what's his name Uncle Sam. Uncle Sam who's been long dead since the Nazis took over cuz he's basically powered up by people's um patriotism and patriotism is dead because well the Nazis won. And these this ragtag group of heroes uh, who've come out of nowhere have kind of been committing terrorist acts to fight against the Nazis from the underground and he's woken up and in this issue he's real woke. And he kicks the ass of a bunch of Nazis. But he's still yet to be super-duper powerful. This is a crazy character, by the way. He's like, can, he can change size. He can teleport. He's super strong. But he's only as powerful as the, as the, the country, the American people. The power of the 76, they call it, uh, <laughs> are. And in this issue, we actually get a flashback to when he was fighting in World War II. And there's a really strong message about what it means to be patriotic, And it's about how the little guy, the one that's being crushed, those are the people that you need to fight for. The rich, people think, oh, the rich are the ones that are are real Americans or those who are in power. And you see like a shot of um, slave owners and they are not part of this uh, uprising. They are not the, the power of the 76. They are the enemy. And I feel like if you read this series and you see what's going on in this country. It's really inspiring to know that Mm. patriotism Mm -hmm. can be twisted and and manipulated to make you think, oh, being American means having a flag and supporting Donald Trump no matter what. And that's not the case. And you get that vibe from this.
1: Yeah, that's awesome.
0: Yeah, it's inspiring to read, and especially in a world like what we're living in right now. On top of that, Eddie Burroughs is doing an amazing job. There's some really cool um, layout designs he's done where, like, there are panels like in the silhouette of a building and then behind the building is like the first panel you're supposed to read. So this ship is coming. I don't know. There's some cool creative things. I talk about it in my review at aptcomics.com. He, he just, it's crazy. Like every other page, there's something like, Whoa, like that is a beautiful page Mm -hmm. and it's very dark. It's a dark story, but it's, it's, so it's very dramatic, overly dramatic. And I don't know. It's it's it's, it's a great series so far. And I think it's going to be collected when it's collected. It's going to be on veterans day. I think around then oh cool so yeah it's well timed timely yeah exactly in more ways than one (laughs) right exactly you know what else is well timed our thoughts on the eisner nominations they came out what three days ago now
1: yes very
0: recently yep and we are excited to talk about it i mean this is basically the oscars for comics if you don't know they take place at san diego comic-con the you know unofficial biggest convention of the year New York Comic-Con probably disagrees.
1: Well, uh, San Diego Comic-Con won the trademark.
0: That's true. So. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. They won the lawyer, the lawyer uh, wars. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Ooh, cool series. Yeah, I want to watch that.
1: <laughs> all lawyers are sent to a world to fight. Oh, wow.
0: Would it be like Secret Wars? Yes, that's what there's I There's a scene imagining. where a lawyer's like, ah. Oh, just a bunch of different my lawyers. My suit is all teared. And they're like, oh, go over like, in that room. There's a, there's a lawyer uh, costume machine.
1: <laughs> he comes out dressed as a judge <laughs>
0: yeah he's all in black you're right yeah yeah his gavel can turn into weapons these are so everything that was nominated uh came out between january 1 and december 31st of 2018 there's definitely yes. a couple things on here you were like wait a minute didn't that come out like two years ago
1: yeah You might think I, that
0: <laughs> yes <laughs> but
1: it's hard to check right
0: that. it's it's easy to forget like if something came out january 1 like that's like an age ago.
1: Yeah. And the comics timeline is so short. A lot of things come out weekly. Right. Or bi-weekly.
0: Yeah. Uh, there's 31 categories, 170 print and online titles, and 51 publishers nominated. That's a lot.
1: That's not a I didn't long even long know long. there
0: were that many publishers, to be honest.
1: Yeah. I, well, they, they've nominated a lot of regional things. Mm-hmm um so like ohio state university press has three nominations um there's a regional one called um the columbus scribbler which is i think a regional columbus ohio regional um like Comics sounds like a super villain. press <laughs> it does um and i think that that has one nomination so i think they're counting all of that as a publisher Ah, interesting yes so
0: how does it break down how are the publishers who's winning the the nomination wars
1: well, Dave, I've run the numbers, oh. and this is my mm, science voice, I guess. I've run the numbers, and now I'm going to. You sound
0: right like you're this. in the 20s. You should have like a <laughs> yeah, see one of those loud yeah. calculators, like
1: Oh man, I wish I had or or an abacus. I don't know how you would count these up with an abacus. Regardless, Image swept the publisher nominations with 19 individual nominations. 19, which Which means 19 different image books or creators are nominated and 11 shared nominations. What does that mean? Which means that a book is nominated for two categories or more. Uh, Okay. So they have 19 individual, meaning there are 19 different things that are nominated and 11 more that share multiple categories. Amazing. Second most is DC with 17 individual and seven shared. Third is IDW with 10 individual and two shared, which I find very interesting given that we've been talking a lot about how they've had problems getting books out or having fiscal liquidity. Um, That's kind of been a a plot line throughout our podcast thus far. Mm -hmm. Um, Still seem to be getting out some quality content though. Um, next is Lion Forge with 10 individual nominations, no shared nominations. So if a Lion Forge book is nominated for a category, it's not nominated for any other categories. After that is first second with nine individual nominations and one shared nomination. And sixth is Marvel with seven individual nominations and five shared nominations. So the discrepancy between the topmost image with 19 And the bottom most, or um, getting down to Marvel with six, is seven.
0: Can I stop you really Uh, quick? Yeah. Uh, Dark Horse sent us an email, or sent me an email, uh, saying they have 10. Is that?
1: I I would assume that that they are including the individual and shared into that. Ah.
0: Into one character. That makes sense. Okay.
1: Yeah. Because um, what I did was I collected all the way down through Uh Marvel. And Dark Horse would be after that. Gotcha. Which means they're not in the individual nominations. Gotcha. Breaking down the series. Um, and what I'm going to do here is we're going to read the, all of the series nominations. And then we'll kind of discuss creators as well. I've got some interesting notes. Um, most nominated series and stuff like that. Um, but I think it's the series are the things that people really glom onto. It's like best best film. So than, right. More so than the individual creators. Um, so, best continuing series nominations are Batman from DC, Black Hammer from Dark Horse, Gasolina from Skybound and Image, Giant Days from Boom. I actually think that that's on the Boom imprint Boom box, mm-hmm. um, Immortal Hulk from Marvel, and Runaways from Marvel. Are there any standouts there for you? Dave? Well,
0: I really, really love Immortal Hulk. I've. Mm-hmm. The horror angle is nailed. I mean, when we had Scott Snyder on the show he even mentioned like, he wants to do a horror Hulk, but he knows Al Ewing's already done an amazing job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Runaways um, is such I, a good book, too.
1: It is fantastic. I think that the standout here for me is Black Hammer. Mm-hmm. Um, Jeff Lemire is one of the most nominated creators this year. Um, and so I kind of feel like if he doesn't win a creator category, he's going to win the series category. This is an interesting
0: series, too, because it's getting turned into a TV show, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's that's true. Um, and this is Black Hammer colon Age of Doom, I believe. So there's a lot of tie-ins for Black Hammer that are nominated. Yeah. I'm not sure how they broke up those. Because hmm. um, it's like sometimes it just says Black Hammer and sometimes it says the tie-in. Uh, not sure. I, I have a
0: feeling some people are probably like, hey, where's Saga?
1: Interesting. As well as Paper Girls. Mm-hmm. Um, Brian K. Vaughn is not nominated this year, <gasps> which is surprising to me. Some folks that worked on Paper Girls are nominated in The Creators, mm-hmm. but uh, the big old BKV is
0: not. So you think Black Hammer's going to take it?
1: I do. Okay. Yeah. Should we start a pool?
0: <laughs> sure. We'll start. Yeah. How much do uh, you want to bet? $10 uh, per category?
1: Oh, God, no. <laughs> I work for a university.
0: I'm going to go with Immortal Hulk. I think Al's going to take it.
1: Okay. Are you and Joe notes?
0: Bennett, sorry, the artist is also a fantastic contra- uh, part of this process.
1: Are you taking notes of
0: what money?
1: Or who who we think's is going to win each oh, one? Okay, yeah, I will. Let's let we'll figure out the terms after this. We'll tell people in the uh, in the next show what we decided. Okay. The winner will have to do. Or <laughs> oh my God! With. We'll make the <laughs> on here. the show.
0: I hope. Yes, <laughs> I have to do the okay. whole show through a kazoo.
1: <laughs> oh God! Best limited series. So this is a series. That started and ended, or um, was always meant to be that way. It wasn't canceled. Um, so a maxi series or mini series, essentially. Um, Batman: Colin White Knight, but from DC. That's Sean Gordon Murphy and Matt Hollingsworth's book. Um, Eternity Girl from DC and Young Animal. Exit Stage Left, The Snagglepost Chronicles from DC. Mister Miracle from DC, and then X Men Grand Design Second Genesis from Marvel. Holy
0: DC Batman.
1: Yeah, um, it, DC almost swept That's this. That's
0: crazy to me.
1: If uh, Piscor's X-Men Grand Design hadn't been in here, DC would have swept this category. I have
0: a feeling I know why. Even though DC's in this uh, four times, they're not all straight like DC. Like Batman's probably the most DC superhero book in this list. But then you've got Eternity Girl, which is Young Animal. You've got Exist Age Left, which is using the yes. um, Hanna-Barbera, right? characters yes and then mm-hmm. obviously mr miracle is a little bit different than the usual mm-hmm. so i
1: i would say what is indi- what this is indicative of, of is that dc is very good at what i want to call patron art mm-hmm. meaning that someone comes to dc with a very specific very finite pitch i have a 12 issue series that i want to write
0: mm-hmm. right
1: i'm not pitching a continuing series i'm not pitching a tie-in book i'm not pitching an event anything like that and it is in an alternate universe batman white knight. yeah dc says okay we're gonna put it all in a trade
0: yeah technically that's now dc black label so that's not even dc
1: right so the so batman white knight came out in individual issues but then they traded it all up and put it on black label right, right? and they were like it doesn't matter if this isn't what's happening in batman right now right I think that they are significantly better at that than Marvelous.
0: Yeah, I would say so, yeah. They don't really do it very often. right? Mm -hmm.
1: Like Young Animal is essentially that. Um, All of the Earth One books, quite a few of which are nominated, are basically that. Um, Mr. Miracle, also that. Eternity Girl, um, a Young Animal book here is the the one that I would call out. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that dc is significantly better at that or that not caring about so much about continuity
0: you know to add to your point i feel like marvel they have a lot of books that end up becoming like miniseries because they get canceled but if they had approached that series like oh we're only going to do eight or 12 of this they could have gotten into this category but didn't
1: yeah i don't think that they put limiters or parameters on their creators as much or they don't encourage their creators to do this which
0: i guess in a sense is a good thing in some sense because mm-hmm. it's like, oh, I have yeah. a job for the next year. Oh, wait, no, it's canceled it de- at six. <laughs> it,
1: it depends, right? right? Yeah. Um, the obvious winner, I think, is Mr. Miracle.
0: Probably so, probably so. Um,
1: My favorite is Eternity Girl. Right. I I wrote a review for that over at the site. I give it a nine out of 10. Mm-hmm. I loved it very mm-hmm. much. It really, it really really resonated with me. Um, I think most folks have already gotten around to Mr. Miracle at this point. Yep. Um, if you haven't gotten around to Eternity Girl, though, I hope that this encourages people to check it out. Oh, for sure.
0: Yeah, I feel like Exit Stage Left should win.
1: Uh, Mark Russell, yeah. He did a lot of those Hanna-Barbera DC mashups. And
0: they, so, so many of them were really good. Um, his yeah. ability to write a comic that has deep meaning to our society, even if there's a freaking talking dog in it, or in this case, a talking puma, uh, can be so meaningful and that's i think that's one of the best ways to affect change with storytelling yeah i agree i think x-men grand Designs is a great idea uh but it's not necessarily the greatest one on this list if you catch my i don't if think you so. catch my drift no. yeah so you're gonna go eternity girl huh okay putting you down uh, putting you down this is gonna make
1: me lose the bet <laughs> but yeah
0: i'm going with snaggle
1: i wanted to win going with snaggle Okay, well, maybe it'll be a wash Could for us. Could be, probably.
0: <laughs> yeah. So,
1: um, uh, okay. Yes. Best new series. Oh, boy. And this is what we were alluding to earlier in the show. And uh, we are going to pick it up a little bit after this segment, y'all. Um, Bitterroot from Image. Crowded from Image. Gideon Falls from Image. Izola from Image. Maneaters from Image. And Skyward from Image. Hmm. Image sweat. That's crazy. The best new series category.
0: Not surprising. They they have more original series than anybody each year, don't they?
1: They they do launch more original series than any other publisher per year, I believe. Um Vault, Aftershock and Dark Horse are like close. Yeah, it's just
0: Dark Horse doesn't put out a lot of books.
1: Right. Image consistently launches um and also the creators have more investment, right? right. They own these books. Right. They own these stories. Right. The same way that a creator might come to DC and say, I've got this story I'm really invested in. It's going to be 12 issues. Please let me do it because they want the rights to the Batman character or whatever. Right. People are coming to Image and saying, I've got this story I'm really invested in and I, I want to own the entire world. Yep.
0: It just makes logical sense, uh in a world where there are these bidding wars from Netflix and whatnot that are trying to turn all this stuff into T V shows. Yep. And it's a it's it's yep. a business model that, you know, it, it appreciates the creators a lot more.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. What do you think will win? I think that David F. Walker's bitter root will win.
0: Hmm. I'm going I'm going with Gideon Falls because I keep being told, chastised even, that I have to read it. <laughs>
1: It is uh Gideon Falls is my favorite mm-hmm. from this but I think Bitterroot will win. It's um artistically and culturally relevant.
0: Who was that comedian older man that w- was seen reading it on Twitter?
1: Oh. We talked shoot. about this in a
0: previous episode. I
1: know you're talking about. I can't remember right now. He's an
0: old white guy.
1: I, yeah. Yeah, old white man.
0: <laughs> uh but a but a, yeah. w- one of the greats. One of the greats.
1: Yes. Okay, um, getting into a, some interesting stuff here. Most nominated series across every category is Mr. Miracle. Best limited series, best writer for Tom King, best penciler slash inker with Mitch Gerards, and best cover artist for multiple covers, Nick Darrington.
0: Those covers were gorgeous.
1: And, I mean, that's why you're basically saying it's going to win limited series, right? I, like, yeah, if, yeah. I think limited series is the most interesting category this year. I also think that, that it is the most obvious category.
0: If every aspect of the book is being nominated, there's that's a good sign. That's a red flag.
1: Right. Um, so, yeah. Um, getting into creators, the best writer categories are Alex DeCampi, Tom King, Jeff Lemire, Mark Russell, Kelly Thompson, and Chip Zdarsky. A, a bit more diversity here with folks that write for um, Big Two as well as indie books. Um, I, sp- I particularly want to call out Chip Zdarsky for Peter Parker's Spectacular Spider-Man. Issue number 310 was also nominated for um, a single story or one-shot issue. That was my favorite issue of last year, of 2018. I hope that it wins. It uh, made me cry. That's what I have to say about that.
0: Yeah, it's well written then. But again,
1: Tom King is an obvious one here. Mm-hmm. Um, although uh, potentially unpopular, I don't, I don't think that Batman and Heroes in Crisis are as well received as some of his other work.
0: Yeah, his Swamp Thing special was quite good, I, I would say.
1: Yes, I, that was nominated as well. That's from one of those Walmart um, collections. Mm-hmm. So, It'll be interesting to see if Swamp Thing and Mr. Miracle can outweigh kind of the weight of those other stories.
0: So you're putting your name down on Chip?
1: I'm putting my name down on Lemire. Oh,
0: Black black Horse.
1: Yeah, I, I think Black Hammer probably won't sweep sweep series due to Mr. Miracle being around. Um, but it, it, it will get creator.
0: So, much like every award show, people does, should win deservedly and don't. And then two or three years later they're nominated like Denzel was, and then they win it. Right? <laughs> so, I yeah. have a feeling Tom is Tom King even though he is prob he's very much worthy to win is probably not because someone's going to go he just he just he does he just won. Does he, does he get it again? Yeah. So, I put right. my name down on chip.
1: Um, and then kind of the other category I want to talk about in creators here is Best Penciler slash Inker. What we would consider the traditional comic book art. Um, I don't want to say it's the only comic book art or the right comic book art. Uh, Matthias Bergara for Coda. Fuck yeah. Check out my Twitter for a uh, shit post that I made about how much I love Coda. Uh, Mitch Gerards for Mr. Miracle. Carl Kershell for Zola. Sunny Liu for Eternity Girl. Sunny Liu is a three-time... Eisner Award-winning artist,
0: Damn. racking them up. Uh,
1: Sean Phillips for *Killer Be Killed*. My heroes have always been junkies. Um, that Ed Brubaker series that I mentioned earlier as well, and then uh, Yannick Paquette for *Wonder Woman: Earth One*, which again, similar to that Patreon model that DC has.
0: Mm-hmm. Where's your name going?
1: Where I'm gonna put it on Mister Arts.
0: That was. I'm yeah. going to do it too. I'm doing that as well.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, that's a even cute I, I
0: don't want to trash the book because I did like it, but I didn't love it. But I will say the art I did love.
1: Yes. It's fantastic. Yep. There's a lot going on. And there's a lot of art that really, really tells the character's story externally mm-hmm.
0: really well. I feel like Gerard's yeah, I think that, that's or great. Gerard's, Gerard's Gerard's. Watching him evolve has been quite something. I mean, he's he was in our best cover of the week twice now in the last three weeks his art has just gotten more and more interesting and more and more creative. I feel like because he's mixing Mm -hmm. in like media, he's doing a lot of different things. It's really cool.
1: Yes. Um, speaking of mixing in media, there is a best painter, multimedia artist category. Um, Not going to get into the weeds with the next categories too much. All of these nominations are available on the SCCC site, or you can just look up Eisner 2010 nominations. But Best Painter Multimedia Artist, the uh, topmost nomination is Lee Bermejo for Batman Damned. Mm -hmm. I really hope (laughs) that someone wins an Eisner for the Bat Dick. Yeah, yeah like really a lot brian Azarello is not nominated for writing batman so
0: if batman. if lee wins do they put up the bat dick panel um on this big screen when he runs up
1: i would assume that they would <laughs> even though they did edit it yeah. out <laughs> yeah i would assume that i would assume that they put in the even more on they put in uh lee's roughs oh there you go of that yeah
0: he actually or the research he like he, did. he like penciled over like a porn star or something
1: I, I, I would love, like, his Google searches. Bruce Wayne height, average height to dick size. Oh, my size. God. All, all He's a mathematician. This is my process. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if a flagpole is planted in the ground and it casts a shadow. Oh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, okay, so, creator-wise, um, again, there are a lot of other categories. You can go check those out on the site. We have them up on AIPTcomics.com as well. Um, most nominations go to Tom King for Best Short Story, Best Continuing Series, Best Limited Series, Best Graphic Album Reprint, so that's for the hardcover collection of Vision, and Best Writer. Hmm. That's five nominations.
0: He's bound to win one.
1: Absolutely. I think he's bound to win at least two. Hmm. I would say Best Limited Series is likely, Mm -hmm. and Best Short Story is also likely. I would agree with that. Four nominations each, for Alex DeCampi and Jeff Lemire. Three creators have three nominations each, and then 12 creators have two nominations. Interesting. And then uh, a couple of other notes that I took, 30 companies or individuals have only one nomination. Um, Just to kind of illustrate the diversity that we're going here. Like they pick best web comic. They pick best comics publication, best shop, all sorts of stuff. Batman White Knight is nominated for limited series, but there is a writer and artist category, meaning the person wrote it and did the art. And Sean Gordon Murphy is not nominated for that category. Interesting. Which I thought was interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, Given that someone or enough people nominated it for limited series, but not for the artistic effort, nor did they nominate him for writer. They, they like the package, um,
0: but not the pieces. <laughs>
1: right. Maybe they only liked Matt Hollings. Maybe. Alex DeCampi is the only best writer nominee nominated for something else. She did the lettering for both of the books that she has nominated for. And then every pencil, penciler and inker nominee is male. Mm-hmm. So as far as I can tell, and I... I did my due diligence as best as I could going through all these categories. There's a woman nominated in every other category or like it's a website or it's a web comic or it's, you know, a shop or something like that. But every penciler and inker nominee is male.
0: Probably a sign that generally speaking, it's a male dominated industry.
1: I think that that is true. Um, I think that there's kind of two sides to the coin, right? Like that it's getting better over time. Um, I didn't have the time to go back and see what previous Eisner nominees have looked like. I would imagine that it's been historically worse in terms of representation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it it's not great to have an entire category which is essentially the bread and butter of a visual medium dominated by
0: men. Right. Now, these these nominations are all collected based on polling, right? Based on the surveying.
1: It's very it's very similar to the Academy. So there are people that are a quote unquote blue ribbon committee of people that do the nominations mm-hmm. and then everyone that is a member gets to vote. Right. Which includes creators.
0: Right. So someone was like, "Eh, no women on this category. It's We, yeah. we good."
1: Yeah. yeah. Um so it's not great, but on the flip side, there are 31 categories and only one of those you know, uh I don't know where I fall on it. I don't think it's great. And that concludes my statistics, <laughs> boss.
0: And that's the segment. We're talking about the Eisners. We're going to be talking a lot about the Eisners when they actually, uh, when the winners are uh, revealed at San yes. Diego Comic-Con, which we will both be at.
1: And we will, um, oh, God, maybe we'll record the show where the loser and winner stakes are announced. <laughs>
0: That'd be funny. I mean, yeah. You know what? We should try to get we'll into that.
1: Figure One out of us should go. To the, to the Eisners? Oh, How do you yeah.
0: get to go, though? I'll dress up as Eisner. Get to be Eisner. invited? I don't know.
1: I don't know. I'll dress up as Will Eisner.
0: We're going to recommend two books that we hope do even better after we talk about them in our next segment called Top Books for Next the Week.
1: AIPT book.
0: <laughs> yeah, there you go. So someday we'll be so big that pe- creators will be handing us $50 bills and going, yo, put me on your show, dog.
1: And we won't do and it. And we won't do it because we have too much integrity. We set up a pa- unless we set up a Patreon, in which case there will be a direct Oh my God,
0: people.
1: yes. People can There'll do There'll be a tear.
0: You give us $5,000, and we will talk about your show every show for five shows. $1,000 a week. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, that's not happening, but what we are going to do is talk about our favorite books. I'm going to go first. I am really looking forward to Gogor Number 1 by Ken Gehring. This is from Image Comics. Ken Gehring is a creator that's done uh, a book called Planetoid and uh, the sequel, Planetoid Praxis, in the last seven years. Actually, when I started AIPTcomics.com Uh, I was reviewing Planetoid, and that was like just coming out. So it feels feels like this is an important book for me because I've been reviewing Ken's work for seven years, and I've gotten an insider look at this book because I actually got to read it already and review it already. Uh, But I actually put it on my list before I read it, and I will say he's very, very good at capturing like a fantasy world and uh, and doing world building. Planetoid is very much this world you've never seen before, a rust covered a metallic, like robotic planet. And in this, it's kind of the opposite. It's green, lush, floating islands in in, in, in the atmosphere. And I actually interviewed him about this a couple weeks ago. And I think one of the inspirations he said was uh, like the Dark Crystal series stuff from... Um... Oh, yeah. awesome. And you get that because yeah, there's yeah. a bunch of alien races that you don't even really... They're kind of there, but you don't really get to know them quite yet. And it just feels like if um, Jim Henson was doing a comic, he would do that too. He would have these c- creative looking creatures uh, that we'll probably meet eventually, but not yet. Anyway, uh, I highly recommend it. Uh, I'm, gonna, I'm looking forward to seeing how people react to it because it's, it's, it's an original series and it's really cool world building. I think people are going to dig it.
1: Yeah, that sounds awesome. What, do you, what, do, I'll check what it are out you looking too. forward to? I am looking forward to Beasts of Burden, The Presence of Others, number one. Um, Similar to you, Beasts of Burden is a book that I have appreciated and loved for a very, very long time. Um, I think that the original, the first time that I ever read Beasts of Burden was the Beasts of Burden Animal Rights Trade, a hardcover which came out on June 30th, 2010, if my Google is correct. So nine years now since I read the first um, Beasts of Burden collection. Um, this one is written by Evan Dorkin as he has written all of the Beast of Burden books and with art by Jill Thompson, who is the original artist for the Beast of Burden series. Um, there's a, a tie-in series, a um, couple of tie-in series actually, with um, another artist, Benjamin Dewey. I love those as well. Um, Beast of Burden is a really, really good, strange world where um, animals are magical. Hmm. And they speak and they um, perform rituals and they solve problems for other animals and stuff. But it's not like Redwall. Like, they don't wear armor. They don't walk on their hind legs. They don't – it's not like animals are people, what if. It's like animals are animals and there's a whole world of theirs that we don't see or don't understand, and I love that a whole lot. Um, some of the dogs can like shoot fire out of their eyes. Whoop whoop. <laughs> um, there's all sorts of like crazy shit going yeah. on. Evan Dorkin is primarily like a horror writer, so a lot of them get really gross and weird and like sacrificial and stuff. Oh, um, the cover for this one is like this is a two issue limited series, and the cover for this one is like half of a skull with animals in mm-hmm. it, and then the other issue is the other half of the skull with animals in it Um, but no book has ever made me feel like I am looking into a world that exists right Um, like the way that the animals talk and the magic that they do and all the slang that they use and everything like that it feels like it already exists somewhere it's not overexplained. there's no like ramping up no introductions too often you can still glom onto it you can still understand it but you really do feel like you're listening in on a conversation hmm. um and i I really really love when a world is that realized rather than seeing world be building in media res or on paper or whatever um and also like animals and stuff, crazy cats and dogs and magic and stuff like that. It's really cool. I love it
0: nice, I need to check this out
1: so i i'm I'm very much looking forward to it getting. The original artist Jill Thompson back on it is exciting as well.
0: Yes, uh, my girlfriend Lisa, uh, she actually interviewed Jill at San Comic Con a year or two ago. Oh, cool! Super yeah. chill. She had a really funny backpack that was like a cute little animal backpack.
1: <laughs> oh, that makes yeah, sense. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, that's sweet, yeah. guys. Check those books out. I swear to God, if you don't check those books out, when I come back next week, <laughs> and I, I'm gonna I'm gonna check in with all of you who are listening. In our next segment, Judging by the Cover Junior, this is where we get to talk about our favorite cover art uh, coming out next week. And this is, uh, this is an ode to our ongoing and long-going uh, series, Judging by the Cover, which is curated by Eric Klein and a staff member every week. And this week, Forrest, I believe you like a certain flaming character cover.
1: I do. Um, I really like Cosmic Ghost Rider Destroys Marvel History number three with art by Gerardo Sandoval. Um, uh, couch this comment a little bit. I don't think that the writing on Cosmic Ghost Rider Destroys Marvel History is so good, but the art is cool. hot take. Hot take. <laughs> um, the covers are fantastic, mm-hmm. and they totally, totally, totally deliver on the promise of what the series is supposed to be about. There was the cool one with Spider-Man. This one is all about the Phoenix Force. So you've got um, Cosmic Ghost Rider front and center, and he's just kind of standing. He's got all this weight around him as flames rise up from his feet, stretching outward like phoenix wings away from him. And then you've got this ghoulish bird face burning upward with... um, ashes and fire and sparks and all sorts of stuff rising up across the page and a complete void of blackness it really um continues on from the flames of his skull which is also stretched in this garish smile and then he's got the uh phoenix logo this big fire bird logo emblazoned on his chest
0: reminds me of when cyclops and the x-men became uh phoenix
1: yeah it does it does remind me of that i wonder if they'll reference that as well given that he's kind of probably going to be explaining the whole Phoenix <laughs> Force yeah thing um it's very painterly if you look at it initially you're like oh wow there's a lot of lines and stuff but if you look at it closer you can see like the lights from his gauntlets are flowing into it but also like the chains from his back are um so they've done a really good job of like uniting the phoenix Iconic roof, I, blah, blah, blah. the Phoenix icons as well as the um, Cosmic Ghost Rider icons. Um, it feels very like it's far out in space. It feels a little bit scary. It feels a little bit uncontrollable. Um, but mostly, it feels heavy metal as fuck. Yeah, the
0: chains are almost like wings. It's pretty yep. sweet.
1: Um, it's cool. It's really, really cool.
0: If you go to AIPTcomics.com in this post, you can see it for yourself. And you can also see my pick, which is... A Green Lantern number seven by Liam Sharp. The art is by Liam Sharp. Uh, <laughs> I like that. Thank delivery. you. I was. It was for drama. Uh, <laughs> this is a really detailed cover. You can tell Liam drew every little rock. And when I say little rock, I mean, uh, on the left side of this uh, cover, we have uh, Hal Jordan looking on at these floating, like broken up, basically like islands with these like castle like uh, buildings spreading out of them and all these little stones that are like lead all the way through to one big, big like Island of city. And then it keeps going and then there's another one and then it keeps going. And there's another one. It's almost like it's, um, you know, the never ending story when the castle blows up at the yeah. end. Spoilers. Sorry if you haven't seen it.
1: <laughs> Spoilers for the never ending. Story. Sort of like
0: that. It's like all these stones. It's almost as like there was a war there, but it's so beautiful. It's very science fiction, pulp novel coverish, ish um, it's really mm-hmm. neat how, Hal is sort of just standing there. We can't see his face. He's looking on. It's almost like he's a surrogate for us and he's taking it in. Like we are this, uh, this awe inducing scene that clearly took Liam. Uh, probably a long time to draw every one of these little rocks.
1: Oh, no doubt. Yeah. This is very evocative of the kind of like super detailed line work that like Ian Bertram does as well.
0: And what's yeah. really neat. It's you don't actually pick up on it unless you start to really stare at this cover Behind all the rocks is this green, it looks like it's a picture of something. Yeah. And you can see there's like light reflecting on it even. And then if you look up, if you like, as your eye goes up, you see it's like sliced as if it's a couple images like superimposed on each other. It's kind of cool. It creates a definite like a a contrast to the hand-drawn stuff so that it's like almost uh, blurry, uh, but induces this like really interesting sort of space scene. It's pretty cool. It's a pretty mm-hmm. cool cover.
1: Yeah, it's it's a really fantastic way to do multimedia right. that I haven't seen in, in many other things. It, it really looks like he took a picture of like a scratched up piece of clear plexiglass right, right. or something and then drew on top of it digitally, but it is really cool. So yeah. we
0: recommend reading both of these books based on the cover alone. Yes! In our last yes. segment, which we end our show now every time, it's off-topic, top-shelf, and this week, Forrest gets to tell you about something that's not comic-related, but it's also awesome.
1: Yes! Um, so this week, for me, it is going to be the album Lush by an artist called Snail Mail. Um, this is my one of my favorite albums from last year. Snail Mail is an um, indie rock group. I... Hmm. I think that the only artist officially is um, the singer Lindsay Jordan. They started in 2015, and um, she's only like 17 or 18 years old. But her sound is very, very developed and very, well, for lack of a better word, lush. Um, it reminds me a lot of, like, shoegaze music. It reminds me a lot of, like, big, echoey, 90s-type music. Um, but it's very personable. Her lyrics are really good and evocative. Um, it's the kind of stuff that makes like a, a 26-year-old man such as myself feel like a teenager, but not in like a, oh man, remember when I was really into the hot topic type way? More in the, the like, yeah, I haven't really thought about those feelings or those emotions in a long time. But man, a teenager is really so good at capturing them and writing them out effectively. Um it's it's really it's really great. Um, it's it's kind of like the Cure, I guess, um, or kind of like slowed down Nirvana. I don't know. What, I I'm not entirely sure how I would categorize it, um, but I would definitely recommend that everyone check it out. Especially given that it is one solo artist who is coming out in their teen years with something this realized. Is like unheard of, um, so get on board now because she's going to blow up if she hasn't already. I think she has. The last
0: time you recommended a musician, uh, I ended up going mm-hmm. to see them live a few days ago. Orville Peck was in town in Boston, and uh, yeah, you weren't wrong. Yeah. <laughs> um,
1: so so this one is this. She's she's fantastic. Actually, you know, I would say she reminds me a lot of Mitski, hmm. um, who got the number one Pitchfork album last year. So. She reminds me a lot of Mitski. She reminds me a lot of like another artist called Soccer Mommy. Um, just kind of giving you references to see if you would like it. But it's it's really cool. It's really um, big and open, but emotionally vulnerable and quiet when it needs to be. It's it's great.
0: You know who else is awesome? Tell me. Our listeners. that's right you guys listening right now who've made it this far especially you get extra bonus points because this was an extra long episode thank you so much for listening thank you so much for hearing our silly ideas and our silly recommendations which we don't find silly at all we find them very serious (laughs) Mm -hmm. and we hope you keep listening we hope you subscribe that way you're 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 tapped in there you get it when it's when it comes up on sundays and it automatically downloads to your phone like uh like the podcast on apple if you can and uh, give us a review, too, if you feel like it.
1: Yeah, please do. Um, I can't I can't say how much one review equates to me wanting to do, like, 20 more shows.
0: <laughs> right, right. For so,
1: sure. So um, if, if you guys are loving the show and you, you want to share it or you want to subscribe or you want to find us on Twitter and reach out to yeah, us. Yeah, totally. Um, and say that you like it. Please What's your do. Twitter handle, Forrest? Um, mine is forest f o r r e s t underscore t x t. And mine
0: is no socialize. Um, yeah. Thank you so much for listening.
1: Yeah. Thank you very much. Bye. Yeah. Yeah.